Hello, everyone, and welcome, dear listener, to a new episode of Security Headlines. In this episode, we're deep diving into fuzzing and WebAssembly and a lot of other things. And joining me today is an expert in WebAssembly security and fuzzing. He's an independent security researcher, professional fuzzer, owner of Fuzzing Labs, frequent speaker at various conferences, and today our guest of honor. It's a pleasure for me to welcome Patrick Ventuselo to the show. How are you doing today, Patrick? Awesome. Thank you. I'm really happy to, to be there with you guys. So before we kind of jump into some fussing, I'm really interested in, because you're doing a lot of cool things, fussing different parts and you're teaching courses, but what got you here? Why did you start oh. security and how did you end up in Infotech? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, actually, it's something that I'm uh, uh, always interesting about since like my early beginnings and so on. So uh, basically after... I've done some some study into like computer science and so on, and I directly focused on on security because for me security is like um, the holy grail of computer science in general because you you can if you are interesting about security you can just pick whatever stuff you, is around you and you can just be like a, a, a like focus on the security of this stuff like security of uh, I don't know like car hacking you can do. Um, security like reverse engineering on the binary level you can do web uh, web stuff and so on so you can basically do whatever you 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 want you can even do security of hardware stuff i mean i have some some of my good friends are doing like um, analyzing of chips directly like the i mean that's pretty awesome to to at this level and still doing security in that way so I, i've always been always been really fascinated by the fact that yeah whatever stuff can be hacked so uh, why shouldn't do that so i focus my study on that i've been into like multiple company i've done pen testing of telecom network i've done reverse engineering malware analysis development of tools for rmd in python and so on for like tracking a blockchain transaction and so on and um and i've also done and that was basically like what pushed me into like fuzzing and vulnerability research i've done like um, an internship of six months with the the french diode and basically during this internship i was doing like a fuzzing of the android kernel so it was really nice really indie pretty um one of my best uh, six months, I will say. And yeah, basically that's pushed me even more into like fuzzing and vulnerability research. So by the time I was doing some other stuff and uh, at some point I, uh, I was digging with like WebAssembly, blockchain stuff, and I was starting to look deeply into that. And I found out that there, is, there was at the time not a lot of research regarding like fuzzing and vulnerability research around that. So I start to focus myself on that and, and giving training and so on. And uh, yeah, by the time I create my, my company, I mean, I, I'm working for myself as it's like a French freelancer contract stuff for like two years. And uh, yeah, I create a fuzzing lab like officially as a, as a company um, like, um, like six months ago or so. And basically that's basically what I'm doing for the last uh, two years. Uh, just that I was working for myself and not with a like, company behind. But yeah, basically I'm giving training around WebAssembly, uh, Rust, Golang, uh, fuzzing, and security in general. And I'm working, I'm doing consultancy for uh, a lot of blockchain software company, basically. That's awesome. So did you find anything special or uh, any like zero days when you were uh, fasting the Android stuff? <laughs> Good question. Mm, I, I'm maybe not allowed to speak about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, just to mention quickly, uh, I mean, if you search, you will find 
all the time. I mean, uh, yeah, it was mainly focused on, on fuzzing the Android kernel and especially like the drivers of like uh, some Android phones. So, I mean, right now, I'm, I suppose nobody is using that anymore. I mean, uh, phones are changing pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you search, you, you always find stuff. I mean, it's not an issue. The, it's always the, the case in fuzzing. The complexity is not too, I will say, it's not too fuzz or, or maybe the target will be too complex and so on. The, the main difficulty is to target some piece of code that have not been targeted by someone else. Uh, if, you, if you find or if you are able to target some, some complex piece of code, some weird path in the, in the application, it's pretty sure that you will find bugs. Uh, so usually fuzzing is always successful uh, if you spend enough time to, to make it uh, to make it worth it. So, so what's your strategy? If you get a new code base and you, how do you kind of pick the functions to attack? Yeah, good question. Actually, depending on the target. So first of all, the main question will be, uh, do we have the source code or not? So black box or white box fuzzing. So usually on my side, I'm, I'm usually doing only white box fuzzing. So in that case, I will say, depending on the language, of course, you will not look for the same function and the same entry point. So you need to have a bit of knowledge about how it's supposed to work, uh, ideally. So let's take uh, Rust or Golang, for example. So basically, I will take a look at the public function. I will directly start to identify which function seems to be really interesting, like which function expecting to take as an input some uh, arbitrary byte and, and some stuff like that. So that will be really quick. My, my goal is really just to ping-pong some interesting function. I'm directly writing first target for them, and I'm directly launching my further. So that will be uh, one, one part. I'm directly launching the stuff, and it will maybe start to find some stuff, but I mean, it's running on the side. At the same time, I will code review and take a look at the code more uh, in deep. Uh, start to take a look at like the unit tested, if there is some, uh, the examples, uh, all the uh, application is expected to be working. Determine the attack surface. So if you take, for example, a blockchain software, you have multiple on-try points. You can the smart contract, you have the networking stack, and you can have a bunch of other stuff. So that's definitely the stuff you, you want to look at. The same way for a web server and so on. That's, that's basically the same architecture, more or less. So uh, that will be the, the first stuff to, to do. By the time you will maybe find bugs uh, by just targeting the, those simple functions and you just improve your first target in order to uh, write a more complex stuff, go in deep into the code coverage uh, of your target uh, and so on. After that, um, usually, so since we are writing first target and we are doing whiteboard texting, um, it will be like code coverage guided fuzzing. So uh, it will be like the most efficient uh, way to, to start at least. By the time, it, you will maybe need to um, go even deeper and do even more stuff and um, generating more complex input and so on. So that's uh, at this time where um, basically you will have like um, structural based fuzzing, like generation based fuzzing and so on. So those techniques that will also require you to uh, write more um, more piece of code to understand the target deeply, basically like the, the protocol structure or the file format structure and so on. Um, and after that, you can even start to do like differential fuzzing and some other technique, um, I mean, depending on the target, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, the, what I would say, the, the best stuff to do is really attack surface, starting to do basic fuzzing, 
continue to do code review and improving your fuzzing uh, target and so on. The more time you have, the more um, techniques you will be able to use. That's awesome. How, how does your uh, environment look like? I know that fuzzing is often very IO intense, so some people run it with tempfs. But you have like dedicated VMs you you run your fuzzing in, or do you run it on your main computer, or how do you execute the, the fuzzing iterations? Yeah, good question. Um, usually, I'm running that on my OS. Also, something specific, but I mean, it's me. Um, I'm not doing any Windows stuff as a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so I only have some VM for Windows stuff. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm running everything on Linux. Um, so basically, I'm running almost everything on my OS. I have some fuzzing station. So it's basically like my old uh, working station and so on. So by the time I, I have that, if I'm doing like a, a, I mean, it's not really depending of the mission, the contract and so on, but I um, also have, uh, I'm also running some dedicated uh, VN on uh, AWS and so on to, uh, to run some fuzzing instance. Um, that's depending, yeah, as I mentioned, that's depending of the client and so on, because it will be a huge budget. I mean, the, the main reason i'm doing that way it's also because at the beginning in my opinion it doesn't make sense to run directly uh, into like a, another um, system uh, like an external system because um, yeah at the beginning you will do a lot of modification in your first target you will try to improve your further and so on so maybe your further will just run like maximum one hour and by the time you will just like maybe stop the further because you already have some crashes and you want to analyze them and um, something to know is the main issue when you are triggering crashes, like at the beginning, I mean, that's good for your report, of course, but the main issue is that uh, often it will, uh, it will stuck the fuzzing process. That means your fuzzer will not be able to go deeper in the source code because it will crash before. So in such cases, I will also need to fix the target myself. Uh, so I'm fixing the bug in order to uh, just rerun the further and go deeper uh, into, the, into the code base. So that's all those um, potential issues and so on, those um, techniques that uh, at the time imply that, yeah, you will maybe run your further for 10, 5, 1 hour maximum, and you will just stop it, use the latest version, and so on and so on. So it um, doesn't make sense at the beginning. Usually, I'm using like um, AWS instance and so on when basically I'm giving my first target to, to the client, and they are using that uh, as part of their uh, CI. So that's, uh, that's usually the, the way to go. And yeah, that's working pretty well as a fuzzing processus, I would say, a fuzzing workflow. So I'm very interested in, in the WebAssembly part of it. So could we cover that a bit? And yeah. uh, so how does fuzzing for WebAssembly work? <laughs> uh, complex subject. So uh, I mean, complex subject because you, you, I mean, you will have that at multiple level. Basically, um, to, to give you an idea in my WebAssembly trainings that I'm giving, for example, at conference like uh, Recon, um, Hack in the Box, and so on. I'm, I'm usually teaching like WebAssembly security in general. And I will say that basically there is two kinds of targets you will fuzz when you are doing web fuzzing WebAssembly. The first one will be WebAssembly module itself. And the second will be uh, web fuzzing WebAssembly VM. So the, the ones that will execute the WebAssembly module. 
So um, first of all, let me just do a, a quick like overview of what is the WebAssembly for the for the auditor. Um, so basically, WebAssembly uh, is new binary format that have been around for like I would say three, yeah five years maybe. So uh, the main idea with WebAssembly, it's like the the, the new version of Flash uh, to to give you a, a rough idea. So the main idea is you have one binary format that is will be uh, um, portable and available by everyone. So it's mainly used on the browser. All the browsers are compatible with WebAssembly. And uh, also, the, the other people that are using WebAssembly a lot are uh, blockchain software. Typically, with, uh, they are using like the WebAssembly binary format for like smart contract uh, and so on. So that's, I would say, the, basically the, the two main ones. So uh, once you, you know that, the first case, you are fuzzing a WebAssembly module. So basically, a WebAssembly module will be uh, executed, uh, will be instantiated and executed by a VM. Uh, and uh, you will get some untry function, some API uh, to, to discuss with this WebAssembly module. So uh, if you do fuzzing of WebAssembly module, you will, in that case, need to still instantiate and execute the module inside the VM. And basically, you're going to fuzz, you're going to provide some um, argument as an input to this, to those function API uh, that are uh, available. So that's one case. Um, you can also uh, provide argument over the uh, shared memory if there is, um, I mean, if there is any shared memory um, and so on. So in that case, your main goal will be to detect or maybe to uh, to reach some uh, piece of the uh, WebAssembly modules that are not expecting to be reached, or like you can think of the unreachable opcode in WebAssembly. Uh, you can uh, think of uh, triggering some specific case. I mean, in WebAssembly, depending which language uh, you are using to compile into WebAssembly, you can have multiple vulnerability inside. Uh, that's something that take like one, one day in my training. So uh, you can perfectly have some buffer overflow and stuff like that. So the, the old vulnerability are back again. And uh, basically, if you are triggering the, this kind of issue, it could be detected by the by the VM. So um, that's also the, the kind of case that are interesting for us. You're going to first, you're going to give some data to a WebAssembly function and uh, you expect the VM to trigger or to detect uh, that something bad uh, is happening. So in that case, you will find issue in the WebAssembly module itself. So that's uh, for fuzzing WebAssembly module. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. So since we're moving more and more into WebAssembly from in the browsers and we're having this black magic uh, compile stuff, do you think like the next generation of browser exploits is going to be majority related to WebAssembly? Oh, they already are. They already uh, are. That, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah they, they are already. Not for the reason you, you, you are thinking of, I, I think. It's not because uh, WebAssembly is insecure or stuff like that. Uh, I mean, of course, the, in the last few years, uh, we, we got some, some specific CVEs regarding like the WebAssembly VM. So the, basically on the browser, the WebAssembly VM is uh, actually inside the JavaScript engine. So mm -hmm. basically everything that is running uh, like WebAssembly it's basically running like uh, for, for Google, it's running inside V8, for example. So basically, if you are able to find, I don't know, like a use after free into like the WebAssembly VM, it's basically a use after free inside the, the JavaScript engine. So that's the, this kind of issue. So of course, we, we got some of them. 
I would say not a lot if you compare the, the number of um, CVE re regarding WebAssembly compared to the one like uh, regarding JIT engine uh, in general. So it's it definitely not the same level, but uh, we got some. Why I'm telling that WebAssembly is already really involved a lot with JavaScript, like browser exploit, it's because basically when you have a WebAssembly module. If you take a look at all the recent exploits on browsers, you will see that they are all using WebAssembly. And the main reason for that is when you are instantiating a WebAssembly module, um, basically what will happen in the browser is that uh, it will be stored into a read-write execution page. So basically, the guy who are doing exploitation on browser will instantiate a WebAssembly module. They're going to exploit another vulnerability that will, uh, that will give them um, the, the capability to uh, basically uh, overwrite the data, uh, the WebAssembly module uh, data. So they will overwrite, the, they will get the, the pointer to this page. They will overwrite the data to put the shellcode inside this page oh, and they will okay. redirect the execution since it's read-write execute. So that's the, that's the main reason why we're seeing a lot of, of uh, yeah, exploit in general with WebAssembly involved. Is it very common to find to find that type of exploits in the wild, just visiting random web pages? Or? Mm, um, I, I mean, I will not be able to tell you in the wild. I can just say that, um, yeah, that's um, the classical proof of concept that uh, you can see on the, um, like um, Google V8 issues and so on for the bug bounty. Uh, if you take a look, like most of them are using uh, will will create an exploit using that. There is maybe. Uh, of course, some uh, other techniques. That's pretty sure, to be honest, uh, that there is some others. It's maybe seen in the wild. I think the, maybe you should take a look at the... Um, there is an article from uh, Google, Project Zero, regarding like the, the latest exploit they found in the wild on the browser, if I remember correctly. Maybe there is some information regarding that. Uh, but no, I, I don't know how far uh, this, uh, this is common on and also, it will, of course, depend of the exploitation you want, you want to do. Uh, I mean, most of the time, in such cases, for the proof of concept, they are looking to like a pop a calculator. So in that case, they are looking to execute some, some shell code. Um, for an exploit in the real life, I don't know. I mean, that's not the kind of stuff you, you're going to do. So uh, maybe there is more uh, weird, tricky stuff to, to do with that. So uh, let's say you have a customer that is doing some kind of blockchain stuff and then compiling stuff to WebAssembly. Do you have like some favorite go-to tools that you use when you're fussing it or how's your process there? Mm, I would say it's depending, but basically if it's like a blockchain software, so they will compile their smart contract into WebAssembly. So the, the first thing uh, that can be done is, of course, to fuzz uh, the smart contract itself. I mean, if it's written in Rust, uh, uh, in, in if we take Ethereum, it will be in Solidity. You can already compile the, the stuff and do fuzzing directly on the source code and not on the WebAssembly binary itself. So that could be a first thing to do. Uh, after that, you can, of course, fuzz the WebAssembly VM, but in that case, you are fuzzing the blockchain software and not the contract itself. And for the kind of tool, 
so I have a bunch of tools uh, for uh, analyzing WebAssembly module and so on. I created like one is Octopus, uh, that is basically like a disassembler analyzer for uh, WebAssembly module and, and smart contract. Um, and I also released uh, a tool called Warf um, that, was, uh, that was basically uh, like a, a further for WebAssembly uh, VM and tools in general to, to find a, a bunch of vulnerability in, in those tools. And uh, actually, it was also working pretty well. So for fuzzing in general, that will be, I will say, first mainly depending of the language of the, the contract or on the code in general. And uh, for WebAssembly itself, usually I will, for blockchain software, it's a bit specific, but uh, yeah, usually I will, add, uh, I will like use like reuse the code and inject my further uh, inside. So what I mean by that is the um, blockchain software using like some WebAssembly VM inside and so on, and it will load a WebAssembly module. I will basically reuse all this code to basically get the exact same context of loading and variable and so on. Everything I will um, expect to work uh, properly and I will inject my uh, further uh, or directly write my further uh, inside. So I will maybe modify the, the, the code uh, that are usually um, used and uh, I will basically create like a, uh, I don't know if it's like written in Golang or in Rust uh, for the blockchain software. I will basically uh, write my further, my custom further directly inside. So I the downside of that is I will maybe not have like code coverage uh, guided feature and so on. Uh, but the main advantages is um, I will be able to, I mean, writing a further is not complicated. So I, I will directly be able to, to write some further to, to start finding some stuff and generating some input. And more important, uh, I will uh, get some if something is crashing, it will crash on the proper environment. It will, uh, even for debugging, for me, it will not be complicated because I'm using exactly what the system is expected to do. So that's really important to, to not, at the end, get a crash that will not be reproducible because, oh, I forgot to put one flag that is actually a flag by default and so on. So um, it's nice to find stuff, but if at the end you are finding stuff that are not valid, uh, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point because when you're doing fuzzing, it's also very important to be able to, to reproduce what you found. And exactly. Create an exploit for it and kind of submit it. Maybe not always an exploit, but a bug or a buffer overflow and create uh, some kind of reporting and output for, the, for submitting an issue. Yeah, definitely. I mean, reproducibility is, is the key for, for fuzzing. And even if you are writing your own fuzzer, um, it's really important to to make it reproducible. So be sure that like you have a seed, um, all your um, random number generator and so on uh, are doing exactly the same stuff all the time. Because yeah, the worst case is you you are expect to find the bugs. You find the bugs, but you are not able to to reproduce. I mean, it will be it will be a nightmare for you. <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, that's not something you, you want it to, to happen. And um, yeah, I mean, writing a further in general is not really complicated. I mean, there is some, some key feature, I will say, but um, just to, to be quick on that, you just need to have some uh, PRNG, so the number generator. Once you have that, you are able to generate randomly some, some data and so on. Uh, after that, you need an infinite loop. And after that, you need a, a target to fuzz. So an entry point and you are providing the data to it. 
that's basically the most dumb feather you you can have. And uh, yeah, after that, you can just add some stuff uh, on the top. You can think of uh, maybe you you want to generate some some specific data with some specific format. Uh, maybe you want to do mutation, and it could be some specific mutation algorithm. For example, if you are using let's say a text uh, like a Markdown parser. In that case, uh, it could be really interesting to be aware of what are the uh, expected keywords for Markdown, uh, what are the, the ones that are used. Uh, maybe it doesn't make sense to generate some arbitrary bytes that are not like text, like ASCII um, character and so on. So, so you, you always have a bunch of stuff that can be done. Then you can, of course... Um, I mean, ideally, if you have a, a way to get code coverage, it's uh, even better because you have like a direct feedback of what your further is doing. And even for the further, it would be able to uh, focus on some specific path that makes sense. And yeah, you can, after that, just add some more stuff and so on. The most, I would say, the most complex targets to, to first are basically the, the kind of software that are doing like a, a lot of stuff that are really heavy can think of like yeah like a javascript engine it's really complicated and especially because uh, you have an internal state and that's the, the kind of worst cases uh, you you will have because for this kind of target if you are uh, executing twice the same input uh, since it will depend of the internal state of the of the software uh, you will maybe not get the same result So that's, uh, that's something really important to, to take in consideration. So yeah, be sure to have something reproducible um, in every case. Do you have any to-go like Python libraries or any good techniques that you often use when you write buzzers? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so yeah, if you want to, to write some basic feathers, of course, yeah, Python is really nice. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm usually... Um, Like for example, in, in one of my courses, I'm, I'm doing like a quick introduction, like writing your, your further from, from scratch. And I'm using Python because it's really nice and really easy to use for, for everyone. So basically for Python, um, some things that could be nice if you want, for example, to do mutation on, on some piece of data, you can use a PyRadamza. That is actually the Python binding of the Radamza further. So that's nice. The only downside, it's, uh, it will be only like uh, single threaded uh, because you are using by and so on so it will be complicated with multi-threading uh, but yeah usually that's uh, that's a, a good stuff to to start except from that if you are using python code for example you can use ataris google ataris further uh, it's a further created by google released recently um, i have um, uh, I, i mean all the all the one I, i will discuss right now are basically i, I put some tutorial on my youtube channel fuzzing labs so you can of course take, take a look at that but yeah uh Ataris further is really nice for fuzzing python for fuzzing rust code i'm using mainly um cargo fuzz and onk fuzz rust so cargo fuzz is basically a leap further um uh, behind and onk fuzz um for fuzzing c and c plus yeah i'm using the same leap further and onk fuzz for fuzzing golang i'm using Libfuzzer as well. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all. For, for Java, for example, you have a Jazer that is uh, created by uh, Code Intelligence, a German company. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the Fuzzer is actually really nice. Uh, I mean, 
on the on the Java world, there was definitely not a lot of uh, stuff available. Uh, before Jazer, it was like GQF. That was a bit complicating and really slow, really, really slow. It was like GQF plus IFL. And uh, yeah. And for black box voting, for example, I'm using uh, yeah, IFL++, the, the new version of IFL. That is like the, the community uh, version of IFL. Um, IFL++ is, is actually also really nice. It's not the further I'm, I'm using most of the time. And I actually already get some discussion about the fact that, yeah, I'm not like the, the biggest fan of AFL++. I, I, I'm really happy uh, and I'm, I'm really supportive uh, on the on the AFL++ development team for what they are doing and so on. That's really helping the, the fuzzing industry. But uh, yeah, I'm just not directly a, a big fan of how the fuzzer is working in, in general. I prefer to have like more straight fuzzer like uh, libfuzzer and, and onkfuzz. But uh, IFL++ is definitely the the way to go, I will say, for everyone that is looking to do like um, black box fuzzing, like with the, the IFL QMU mode that is actually working pretty well. And even if you want to start fuzzing, IFL++ will be really nice because you will not need to to write any first target for example you can just use the um, the, the custom uh, compiler of wrapper like um, IFL um, IFL Clang IFL uh, GCC and so on so it will you just take your normal stuff and you can just recompile with all the IFL flag and so on so that will be for me the, the, the way to go and the way to go to, to learn uh, as well yeah, AFL is it has some years behind it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the the first version of AFL uh, was I think in 2014. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, 2014, something like that. And uh, yes, back then uh, it was really new and uh, really um, really interesting because it was like one of the first public tools to use uh, coverage guided fuzzing and add instrumentation and so on. It helped to find like a a lot of bugs, really a lot. I mean, it's one of the, I think one of the most important tools uh, in the last 10 years in, um, in information security in, in general. So uh, really an important one. So it was under development and continued to be developed for like two or three years after the release. And um, after some time, like just people, I mean, it's uh, robust. Uh, no, it's not robust. Okay. It's, uh, I mean, Robert Suki is the author of Ongfers. Oh, um, I forgot the name of the author of AFL. Um, my bad. Um, so basically, he stopped uh, developing the, the stuff um, because it was, I think he was working at Google at the time and then he maybe moved to another place or whatever. Didn't he and, work uh, on, with Google on starting Google's, what's he called, CloudFast? Uh... Oh, ClusterFuzz. Clusterfuzz, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if he was working for with Clusterfuzz. To be honest, I, I think cl Clusterfuzz was uh, basically in the in the order. I think AFL plus uh, um, AFL was developed. AFL was really nice, and um, uh, people start uh, looking at that and say, okay, maybe it could be interesting to have that directly uh, by default. So uh, people start to develop like Clipfuzzer uh, in addition. So uh, basically, Clipfuzzer is the the embedded uh, fuzzer, the built-in fuzzer for uh, LLVM. And since LLVM is used uh, by a, a lot of people and so on, um, that's, uh, that makes sense. So it has been used by uh, LibFuzzer. After that, yeah, they, they put um, 
AFL and LeapFuzzer inside a cluster first, and uh, Google start to, to fuzz like a, a bunch of software. Um, they, after that, um, open uh, OSS fuzz. That is basically like the open source uh, fuzzing community for that. Basically, you are writing some first target, and if you are fuzzing like an open source software, you can directly fuzz that uh, on the Google um, uh, servers. So that's that's pretty nice. And I think the result, uh, if I remember, is something like 10,000, 20,000 bugs uh, that have been yeah, found yeah. Uh, by, by the time. I mean, that that's really awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that uh, that was basically the the, the way they, they work. And yeah, by the time some other further have been developed, some of them more specific to uh, each language and so on. Uh, because um, I mean, it, it makes sense to have multiple further, like to, to have one further or even multiple per language, because the algorithm will not be the same. Uh, for example, that's something I'm always telling in, in my training, and I'm always showing a multiple further for the same uh, target, the same language, because the result will not be the same. Uh, we are not get, I'm not getting the same crashes and the same result if I'm running like AFL++ or Onfuzz or LeapFuzzer and so on. The speed will not be the same. The uh, mutation algorithm will not be the same. Um, even the detection will not be the same. They will not detect a crash in, in the same way so it's really important to have like multiple tools multiple further uh, in your toolbox and ideally when you are writing the first target uh, or when you are starting to first one target just put like one thread or two thread uh, on it if it's multi-threaded and um, just do that for two or, or, or three feathers and like that you will do kind of a multi-threaded uh, fuzzing uh, stuff uh, with the kind of the same corpora and so on and yeah speaking of corpora since they will not work in the same way uh, they will maybe also not detect uh, coverage and detect the uh, um, the importance of uh, input files in the same way so that's really important uh, in such cases to just run the feathers, wait a bit, and after some time, you just kill them, uh, merge all the corpora, and just start with this new corpora uh, again and again. And um, even better, if you can just reuse corpora from targets to targets, that's, I mean, that's the, the best way to, to, to go, basically, because it would be kind of differential fuzzing for free, because you're going to target multiple implementation of something that is taking the same input file. So uh, you will basically generate some files that will be interesting for each target independently. And uh, if at the end you have like a huge complete corpora that is like a merge of everything, uh, each time you will get like a new target that is using that. You just take this big corpora, you are, do you are doing some corpus minimization and you are starting from that. And um, I mean, in less than, I would say, two minutes, you, you will get like a lot of coverage. Uh, that's something that can maybe be done by the further in, in weeks, in months, or maybe even more, depending on the quality of your corpora. That's nice. So when you're doing like white box testing and you get the source code, let's say you get the source code in, in Rust, for example, is there any like common bad patterns you see in programming code that you know like, okay, they, they have, uh, oh, they have done this and I, uh, I, have, I know where to find crashes in this. And what can you kind of recommend for all the developers out there to make your code better? 
Yeah, definitely. There is a lot of, of pattern like that, um, especially on, on Rust and on, on Go as well. You can, um, just by reading the code, uh, you, you can directly find out, okay, this stuff is really weird or this stuff will panic for sure uh, and so on. So um, th that's why I'm, I'm telling you, usually I'm just looking at the try point, writing the first target, and then I'm doing code review. Because like that, I will directly be able to identify, okay, uh, first I will get like a global overview of the code quality in general. Uh, that will be a really important point because I mean, if the code quality, I mean, even for myself, uh, I, I mean, I will get less expectation if I see that the code, uh, it, the code quality is pretty nice. So, um, and maybe I will uh, directly start to, I, I will look at the code differently. Uh, I will maybe start to look at the code um, with uh, already in mind that I'm going to use some more advanced fuzzing techniques. So maybe I, I will take some note, okay, it's using this uh, kind of algorithm. Uh, there is those patterns and so on. Uh, it's parsing the, the format with, uh, and is looking for this specific uh, flags or, uh, and so on. So I will take more, maybe more interesting note. And uh, I will maybe uh, spend less time looking for obvious bugs and uh, spending more time to, uh, to, to look for um, complex uh, stuff. So to give you an idea, um, for my, for my rest or, or golang training, the, it's usually like a two-day training. And the first day is only dedicated to uh, which kind of vulnerability are specific to the language uh, and, and, and can be found. And we are doing like a manual code review and uh, auditing and which tools can be used to uh, find those bugs uh, and so on. So uh, that's really important for me to put that in the first day because um, like that students will know what they are looking for uh, later. And um, it's, uh, I mean, that's the basis. And even we are discussing uh, about like, I mean, if we are discussing about trust, I, I will discuss uh, what are uh, borrowing, what security mechanism are in force uh, in Rust and so on. Um, I will discuss the impact of those vulnerability because that's something really important. Um, a bugs is a bugs, uh, but if my students are a Rust developer, um, all the bugs will be interesting. If my students are, uh, I don't know, like vulnerability researcher, uh, they will maybe only look for uh, vulnerabilities that makes more sense for them or will have like a, a bigger impact. So of course, it's uh, it's up to the up to the student. And the second day is in that case focused only on fuzzing and uh, and actually like fuzzing the target we are already audit and see if we can find uh, those uh, those real life bugs. And uh, yeah, I mean we are finding a lot of bugs even all days and so on because we always targeting some real piece of software available on GitHub and so on and ideally some popular uh, library. And uh, yeah, that, that's more funny to, to just find some bugs on something that is used by a lot of people directly. So uh, in the same way for, and exactly the same way for, for Golang. Uh, I'm, I'm currently writing the, finalizing the, the training for Golang. And um, basically I'm using exactly the same format because my, my Rust training is uh, my, uh, my bigger cell. Um, and a lot of people are asking me to, to do it. And since the format is working really well, uh, it was obvious for me to just do the same for, for Go since, since I'm doing that for quite some time. And uh, yeah, even for Go, there is some really um, new uh, stuff that are coming uh, like today. Um, 
um, they announced the uh, integration of the, um, so there is a, a current draft uh, in Golang for fuzzing, like um, as part of Go, like uh, you would get like a Go fuzz uh, subcommand and so on. Oh. So it's called the, the, the fuzzing draft. I, I don't know the name exactly, but uh, basically fuzzing will be part of Golang directly uh, integrated in the, in the testing stuff on the Go 1.18. So it will so be... Uh, you will be able to run it natively. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, exactly. Oh, really uh, it, it, yeah, you will not need to install any additional uh, tools and so on. Uh, so you will be able to, uh, I mean, it, it will be really nice for developers. They will just be able to do like, they will do unit testing and at the same time, they will just write a first target and basically they will be able, I mean, in some way you are putting the development of the first target on the developer side and not on the security side. Um, so that's nice because there is, bigger chance of course that developer will find their own bug and so on um, the only downside uh, i see is that um, people will maybe just write a first target based on the unit testes and that's all and they will say okay we are doing fuzzing and that's pretty much all they will not do all the extra steps that is basically um, evaluating the code coverage improving the, the further and so on uh, testing some word cases um, so that's that's for me the downside, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward uh, to to this uh, proposal. Um, personally, I think I would still stay with like using leap further for for using go go stuff because uh, for me, I think that's one of the best tools available. So uh, that's uh, that's many why. But I'm really uh, I'm really curious to see the the comparison and the result of this new new integration this new further for go because you don't have a lot of options when you like natively when you uh, work with rust you have Hongfast, you have afl and then you have libfaster right uh yeah for rust yeah exactly um that's the three most common one so yeah ifl so ifl rust Hongfast, rust and uh, cargo fuzz so that's the three main one. After that, you have some custom, a bit more custom one. Uh, you can think of a lane that is a further developed by uh, some guy at Microsoft that is more for structural fuzzing. Uh, there is fuzz check, uh, I think. Um, and yeah, the, the latest one uh, is uh, libafl. Uh, it's basically, so you will need to write the, the code by yourself and so on and, uh, and do some other stuff, but um, it's, a, it's a really interesting project uh, created by the, the team who are uh, maintaining um, AFL++. And basically, uh, it will allow you to uh, create your uh, custom further using the lib ifl uh, stuff that is actually written in rust so if you want to first rust code you can also of course use this library that will be like more also like a generic library in general for fuzzing but uh, it could be really interesting and uh, yeah that's for rust for go uh, yeah you have gophers that is pretty famous and telling lib further you still need to use gophers it will be gophers with like the lib further flag uh, but at the end, it will be leap further that uh, you're going to use. So that's the, the two, the main one for uh, Go. And right now, the, the new uh, Go first beta stuff that is released uh, like today or in the next weeks. So let's talk a bit about uh, your project Octopus. What, what kind of bugs have you found so far? Uh, oh, 
Yeah, uh, so Octopus is the tool that I was using for analyzing a blockchain smart contract and, and, and WebAssembly module. So I will say it's not directly to find bugs in the sense that um, it will not like, I mean, it, it can be used to detect some pattern and some sequence of opcodes that are weird uh, and, and make sense to, to find any bugs. Um, it was more like a toolbox that I created when I was uh, discovering uh, um, like um, EVM uh, smart contract, EVM bytecode, so Ethereum smart contract bytecode and a WebAssembly module. So I basically created this library to, uh, to support those cases. And um, at the time, it was a tool created to analyze closed source smart, contra smart contract because um, I mean, it was like, yeah, three, three, four years ago, three years ago, I would say. Basically, um, when you have a, like a smart contract on Ethereum or whatever blockchain, uh, I mean, especially on, on Ethereum by the time, um, it's not mandatory for them to uh, publish the source code of the smart contract. So you got a lot of uh, smart contracts that was actually um, just the bytecode was available, uh, no source code. And also uh, you got at this time some smart contracts that was used to do like uh, what we call um, mixing. So that's uh, basically what, um, what some people are doing. They are sending the money to one specific place and the money will be sent back to another one. But if a lot of people are sending money to the exact same contract, um, and it's going back to somewhere else, uh, you don't know uh, basically uh, where the money comes from. Uh, it's, if you are sending money to, uh, to this contract at the same time that thousands of people and your money, uh, not the exact same amount, is going everywhere uh, into like another address, uh, you will not be able to do like the link between, okay, that's your money that is going somewhere else. So that's the concept of mixing. Uh, so I was doing some smart contract analysis, bytecode analysis to actually find this kind of uh, stuff, find the, this kind of weird smart contract. And uh, yeah, that's where I start learning about like EVM and WebAssembly. And, um, and I will say the main feature of this tool is basically to do disassembly and um, call graph analysis and data flow analysis and so on. So all those kind of techniques uh, that will help you in order to do like a reverse engineering and analysis of a, of a module in general. When you created it, was there other toolkits that did similar stuff or were you like, we really need a toolkit that does this, let's create one from scratch? Mm. More or less, I will say, um, usually when you are doing like reversing, uh, um, you will use like the classical IDA, uh, IDA, you will use a binary ninja, you will use a radar 2 and so on. So at the time, all those tools was not, um, not always supporting the uh, specific bytecode, uh, like the WebAssembly bytecode or the EVM bytecode. Um, so uh, I was looking first at a disassembler. So that was the, the pretty easy part. And even some library was existing uh, in, in Python. This story is created, uh, is written in Python. And uh, after that, I start to do the control flow uh, analysis in order to recreate the, the CFG uh, of, the, um, of the module. And that's basically what disassembler are doing. That's why you have like some basic block and some edges and so on. So they will uh, basically analyze the, um, the linear instructions 
and based on uh, Dusslina instruction, they will cut that into basic block, so um, straight snippet of instruction, and they will uh, create edges that are basically uh, the, the path if, if it's true or false and so on. So I was basically generating that and recreating those, uh, those graph uh, for uh, those uh, bytecodes. And after that, I start to um, add some more interesting stuff like call flow graph analysis. So um, basically to know, okay, this function is calling this other function and so on. So at the time, do stuff was, I will say, pretty new and not available. Um, so that was really interesting to, to first learn how to do that. Um, that's, uh, that's, uh, that was really nice for me to, to learn even more about reverse engineering and, and yeah, why IDA is working like, like that and so on. What are the, the different steps and the, the complexity that is required for this kind of tools to, to do the job? So it was really interesting. And uh, also, yeah, uh, it was the only tool to, to do that. And right now I'm still using this tool for my WebAssembly training, basically, because um, it's um, by the time of using that, I'm able to, to tell, okay, if you have this kind of pattern, uh, that's something really interesting. That means, uh, okay, maybe it's a crypto miner, maybe it will be this kind of pattern. Uh, right there, you will get like a cryptographic function. You can see that because the tool is doing that and uh, and so on so uh, that's uh, that's really interesting uh, that's really helping a lot i mean um, people will be able to like find crypto miner uh, WebAssembly module in in like i don't know like 20 minutes or or, or less even uh, just by taking a look at the output of this tool um, and uh, and see okay this pattern is weird and uh, that's why so for people that are like professional developers and our own development teams, and they want to find uh, more bugs for their programming code. What kind of uh, advice do you have for people that kind of want to start some kind of security program and people that want to actually implement fuzzing and want to be able to find more bugs? Where should they start? Um, I think they should first start with um, using the most basic tools available. Um, sometimes fuzzing can look like black magic for people that are not familiar exactly of, of what it is. Um, so just they just need to use the, the tools. I mean, we have a bunch of really nice tools available for all the language. Um, so just try to, to do some tutorials, learn how to use, uh, I don't know, let's say Gophers or, or, or LibFuzzer and, uh, and see what's the result. Uh, see if you are finding bugs, uh, do that on your own library because it will be really nice for you as a developer to detect, okay, you are using maybe this pattern and this stuff is not secure and, and that's why and so on. So that will be a really good start. And once you are able to do that uh, and you really want to go deeper, um, it could in that case really be interesting to learn how to write your own further uh, and uh, start uh, digging into that writing more complex targets, uh, learn how to evaluate the code coverage, learn how you can improve your fuzzing uh, stuff and so on. And uh, at the same time, you will also discover a new kind of bugs because if you are not only fuzzing your code, you will maybe find some other libraries that you are using. Uh, that's basically how I start. Uh, I, I was doing fuzzing on, 
on the libraries that I was using. Like, uh, okay, I found this library. I'm using this library in Python for, I don't know, you can think of, for example, Beauty for uh, Beauty Fuller or, or something like that. That is a library in Python. Um, that, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So basically, you are using this library. Uh, have you ever tried to fuzz it? Never, never. Uh, and you will find some stuff. I, I'm pretty sure you will. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, for, for example, that's one of, uh, I think on my on my YouTube video about fuzzing with Ataris, I'm fuzzing actually GSoup. Um, mm. And yeah, we, we are finding some stuff, uh, of course. Um, it, I mean, it just need to some time. You just need to provide some data and so on. But that's exactly what, uh, what I'm telling. It will be even more interesting for you and, uh, and you will be even more of what you are doing if you are able to find bugs on libraries that you are actually using on the day-to-day -day basis. So uh, in the same way, I was doing fuzzing on uh, Radar 2, on the Yara, and some security tools because, yeah, I was using those tools. So um, um, I was uh, combining the fact that I was looking to learn more about fuzzing and the fact that uh, I was using this tool for my job. And uh, yeah, it's even better. So for a developer, definitely, uh, it totally makes sense for you to just take a look at your code and maybe the, the code of your uh, team. Uh, maybe you can even try to challenge them and, and say, okay, try to write the, the more secure piece of code you, you, you can and, and let's see if I can find bugs and so on. So there is definitely a lot of stuff to do. You just need to, to, to find a way to uh, make it a game. If you succeed to, to make it a game, uh, it will be more, um, you will be even more happy to like focus and spend some time uh, digging into the code and uh, trying to find some corner case that are not rich and, and so on. So um, definitely that, that, that will be for me the, the way to go. There is a lot of information in the wild um, that are available for, uh, and if you, if you want to start, uh, you have a lot of YouTube video, uh, not just mine. I mean, uh, there is a lot of people that are doing a video on, on that. Uh, and that's true that I'm, I'm really focusing on fuzzing myself. Um, so if, if you want one uh, other uh, YouTube channel that I really like is Gamozo Labs. Uh, he's doing fuzzing and really high-level fuzzing. Um, he writes everything in Rust and he's doing like Snapchat fuzzing and so on. So it's really, for me, one of the... One of my favorite YouTube channel and, and Brandon, the, the, the guy behind this YouTube channel is really, really nice and he's doing some Twitch live and so on. Um, for, that's typically the kind of stuff that was not available some, some, some years ago. Uh, and uh, that's really helping a lot the, the fuzzing industry and even all the papers that have been released recently. I mean, there is really a, a huge academic I would say market a lot of academic papers that are coming uh, every every month uh, regarding like using new fuzzing technique and so on. So that's the kind of stuff that bring first of all bring fuzzing um, more uh, on the light and um, and help improving the the fuzzer. AFL plus plus for example, um, there is a lot of features. There is a lot of um, mutation algorithm that are basically coming from those papers. Uh, so AFL plus plus make it easier for people to just try some some new stuff. Okay, what happens if if we are doing mutation for this reason or for this reason, and uh, you can just implement that with AFL plus plus and and try to see the result and so on. Um, another um, another 
case of something really nice that is coming from the fuzzing industry is a fuzz um, fuzz bench that is um, so that's uh, Google that uh, give the um, that create multiple fuzzing target for some interesting um, library in general and um, basically they are doing a, a benchmark of fuzzer uh, and they will benchmark oh. AFL AFL plus plus they will benchmark um, I don't know. They will benchmark um, first uh, and, and so on. And basically, it will be the same target, the same corpora, and uh, they will try this new. If you want to write a new further, you can just like provide this further to Fungebench, uh, integrate that to to them, um, and uh, you will see the result. So that's the kind of stuff that are really nice. So for the moment, I think it's only for C and C++. It could be really interesting to get the same for, for other uh, language. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of, uh, of community stuff and, and stuff that have been uh, provided by, by Google that are really nice and really helping the, the industry and even to evaluate, okay, my father is better than the other. Because that was basically what was the, the discussion uh, like, two or three years ago, all the academic paper was just, oh, okay, uh, uh, here is my new uh, paper. Uh, I'm using a new technique. Uh, it's better by 30%. I'm I found like 10 CVEs with that and up, that's all. So the code was not even released um, or it was just telling, okay, we are doing this kind of new technique. Uh, but um, if you take a look at the paper, uh, they only first some specific kind of stuff. So it's only working for text format or it's only working for binary format but not for text format and so on so it was like okay we are doing better than the other but only on such specific case and uh, that's why it's some stuff like first bench that is actually really nice because you will get like a global set of uh, of libraries and uh, you will you will directly see if one further is better than the other on maybe some specific cases some specific format that make uh, more sense and in the same way maybe one mutation algorithm will be better than another uh, and uh, if you know that you are targeting i don't know like a json parser okay it makes sense to use this specific mutation algorithm and not um, this other one so um i think some feedback about the the I will say the efficiency and um, the reason why you are using this further or why this further is better than the other is really uh, important. That's why when I'm telling that I prefer lib further and ung first, I'm, I'm, I'm telling people it's because I, I really like how to use them uh, and it's more easy for me to, to play with them and to, to use them. Um, and I, I prefer the way they work. It doesn't mean AFL is uh, weaker. It's not working uh, more efficiently. And actually, that's pretty much false, uh, this, uh, this part of my sentence. Uh, AFL++ is often one of the best further uh, available in terms of result. But do I prefer to uh, use a tool that I don't like uh, as much as another one, even if this one is faster? I'm not sure. I just prefer to, to, to enjoy when I'm doing fuzzing. And um, it's just use the tool I want to use. Your, your workflow, right? And being exactly. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It's exactly about finding the workflow. That's, uh, that's all the fun about fuzzing. That's, I know that some people, for example, um, are uh, just 
taking a target, um, they took the, the first feather and they are launching that on the side and they are just spending some CPU time and they are doing nothing else. Some other people actually prefer to take a look at all the code, read all the code, doing code review uh, completely. And after that, writing the further. I mean, it's up to it's up to people. My workflow is the one I, I, I discussed previously. Um, it's the one that is, I think, working pretty well. I'm getting some good results. There is a lot of stuff that can be done uh, differently. Um, of course, um, I, after some time, I will evaluate the code coverage and so on. Maybe some people actually prefer to do that first directly. Uh, one of the first things they, they will do, they will maybe run the unit testes and directly evaluate the coverage from the unit testes and reuse the unit testes and so on. You have a bunch of, I mean, you have an infinite number of uh, of works of workflow uh, available. Um, you just need to find the, the ones that fit you. Um, on my training, of course, I'm teaching the way I'm doing, uh, and also because it, it's often the the most efficient um, to discuss and to to show in one day of uh, of training or one day or eight hour uh, if you are doing that in, in, in multiple days basically but um, it's really important to just find what is the best for you uh, and um, do not force yourself to okay uh, I saw a lot of research uh, on the I don't know like fuzzing uh, hypervisor or fuzzing browser um, I, I want to get CV on that and I will focus on that if it's not what is right for you I'd if it's not something that you enjoy, uh, it doesn't make sense to, to spend some time to fuzz it. Um, on my side, as I mentioned, I'm doing mainly fuzzing on Rust and Golang uh, software because that's what I like. Uh, I'm doing fuzzing on blockchain software because I really enjoy the, the, all the complexity that this new kind of software uh, gets. Um, and um, yeah, there is some, some stuff that I will not fuzz uh, at all in my life or I will just do them to, to give it a try. I mentioned Windows, I'm definitely not a Windows guy. So um, um, I will maybe try to do some stuff on Windows, but you can be sure that I will not spend uh, like my whole day on Windows at all. So uh, that, that's why. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really, really good good key point is find something that you really enjoy or something that you often use as a library or a wrapper or something and then you give that help. Have, so you fuzz a lot of the project. Have you ever stumbled over maybe a code base or a project and you've been just running fuzzers and you found nothing on it? Has that ever yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't mean there is no bug. Uh, it just means I've not spent enough time uh, on it. But yeah, definitely there is a I, I got some targets. Either I find some minor bugs that were just like not critical at all. Um, so it, it's still something important to report for, for people um, because uh, maybe this bug in the future will also introduce some new bugs. So that's why even if it's like a, just a, an informal bugs, um, it's, worth, it's always worth reporting the, the stuff. And uh, yeah, for, for really complex targets, um, yeah, some some cameras I have not found any bugs. For example, I target one one browser uh, for some some days, some some weeks, and I basically found nothing. But uh, I mean, by the time of doing that, uh, I learned a lot, um, 
I learned how it was working internally. I learned uh, how the different piece uh, was expecting to work. Uh, I learned a, a lot uh, about some new fuzzing technique that I, I was never giving a try because, I mean, it was a, a, a specific kind of target and a kind of input uh, to, to, to be provided. So um, it's always interesting to even first some complex target as well, because um, since the classical stuff have already been found by everyone else, or it's already been first a lot, um, you will start to be a bit more creative on, on your further and say, mm, okay, maybe I've not tried that, or is it something, or maybe you take, you will take a look at the code, you will give some input and you will say, okay, what are the expected results uh, I will get? Uh, and uh, when you start to um, like um, uh, know by advance what will be the output, uh, that means you, you start to, to, to have a good understanding of your target as well. So that also could be a really good way for people to, to learn. Um, if they want to, I don't know, like learn Linux kernel, um, yeah, I mean, definitely you can uh, just start to, to do fuzzing on that and, and see uh, what, uh, what, what's the, that's actually what I've done when I was doing fuzzing on the, on the Android kernel. Uh, I was aware that the Android kernel was basically Linux and so on. I was a bit of aware of, what a driver is uh, and, and, and so on. But um, I discovered a, le a lot by just learning uh, around um, the ecosystem and uh, what the, the expected result will be, or the communication work and so on. So uh, that also could be a good way uh, to just discover a new, new project. Just you take some something existing that is looking interesting for you and you, you can just try to, okay, what can I do if I want to first that? Yeah, for me, it's working pretty well. And even if sometimes I'm not finding bugs, I mean, that's the, that's the game. To be honest, um, that's actually pretty rare. Uh, and um, it's always depending, as I mentioned, how long you, you're going to spend on that. Um, that could be really frustrating uh, if, you, if you are like in, I don't know, like in an audit and uh, you have only one week or two weeks. Uh, to, to do the stuff and you are not finding anything. Uh, but if it's something on the side, like a side project for, for you, um, just try to spend a bit of time. I don't know, like just even something I really like to do is like um, uh, spending 20, 30 minutes per day to, uh, to discover some new stuff that I was not aware of. Like, um, okay, let's say I want to um, discover car hacking. Uh, okay. What are the different components of a car? Um, and you will find out that, of course, there is some components that could be could be really weird and look industrial, like the can bus and so on. Uh, but at the same time, you have some really more advanced stuff, like some cars have like an Android system on it. So uh, okay, it's close to something I, I may be more familiar with. Uh, and so on and so on. So um, you will just get more overview of um, of what the world look like and what uh, which kind of target could be really interesting. And um, that's always a good good way to to I would say to finish your day. Uh, one one mojo that I have is um, every day I want to um, 
sleep with something new in my mind. Uh, so um, that's uh, yeah, that's working. That's working well. That's good, and, I, and that uh, might also be a new tool in your in your chest, so to say. Maybe new. Okay. Yeah. Like that. Definitely. Are you currently fussing any open source project at the moment? Oh yeah, uh, I mean a, a lot actually. So for for like one years now, um, I'm um, I'm the main developer of a tool called um, um, Beacon Fuzz. Okay. So uh, it's a differential fuzzer for uh, Ethereum 2.0 uh, clients. Hmm. So it's the new um, uh, clients for the the new version of Ethereum that will come uh, soon. Uh, and basically, I'm doing fuzzing on that for uh, yeah a bit more than one year now. And we found a lot of different uh, bugs uh, inside the implementation. And the good part is since there is multiple implementation um, of the same algorithm, uh, of the same uh, specification, um, you can just uh, fuzz and execute some, some code and, uh, and give some input to each individual uh, client and just compare the results. Uh, that's what all uh, differential fuzzing is about. So that's really nice because especially on blockchain software, uh, you will be able to find uh, logic bugs uh, and what we call consensus bug. Uh, so that means for one specific behavior, uh, I mean, you will not get the same behavior depending of the, the, the implementation. So the, the main impact of such bug on the on the blockchain network will be like a soft fork, what we call a soft fork, meaning that part of the client will do something else uh, than the other one. So you are basically losing some part of the network. So that's a really important kind of bugs. And uh, yeah, basically this this tool, this further was able to find some of them. So it was really, really interesting. Um, except from that, um, I, I'm currently doing a lot of fuzzing on uh, Go libraries. Uh, because as I mentioned, I, I'm currently finishing the, the Go uh, training. So uh, I'm basically doing a lot of fuzzing on that, a uh, lot of good results. Um, I mean, the downside of finding a lot of bugs will be, um, do you plan to report all of them? Uh, I, I will say that a newcomer will say, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let's uh, let's report all of them and so on. Uh, but... but not yeah. everyone likes that amount of paperwork and uh, reporting. And, uh... Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of paperwork for you uh, and you will maybe want to spend this time uh, differently. I mean, you uh, you actually do the, the job to do fuzzing and so on, but do you want to spend like hours of just uh, do debugging on what is happening and create some GitHub issue and so on? Uh, I've done that at the beginning. Uh, I was really happy, really enthusiastic. I, I was doing this stuff and... Uh, um, I was uh, even expected to, to get like CVE numbers and so on. And, and after doing that for like, I would say, dozen of bugs, uh, you will find out that uh, CVE numbers are uh, not given uh, all the time. Even reaching the, the guys uh, at uh, MITRE to, to, to get your CV numbers will take weeks or it will just never appear. Um, it may be less the case right now with GitHub because GitHub is able to give you CV numbers, so it's maybe less the case anymore. Uh, but uh, by the time, yeah, some, some years ago when I was doing that, I mean, to be honest, it was really frustrating. To give you an idea, I found 
thousands of bugs uh, and I got zero CVE numbers because I mean, just, uh, I mean, at the beginning I was looking for them. Uh, right now, I, I just don't care. Uh, okay. I just don't care. It's just, uh, okay, I will not get the CVE numbers and whatever. Uh, I, at, in the other side, I, I got a lot of uh, GitHub issues. So I'm counting my GitHub issues right now. It's a, it's a better, uh, it's a, a better uh, count. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, um, that's the kind of stuff that could be frustrating. And um, it's always nice to report the bugs. Um, um, if people can do that, uh, it's always nice. Yeah, and, and it, if you find a, a really serious bug. Then, yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, I will say, especially if you if you are targeting like a really uh, used and really famous uh, library, because you can be sure that it will be used by a lot of people and so on. So it, it can make sense. You can also, of course, take a look at bug bounties and stuff like that. Uh, so for open source software, there is not a lot of them. That's the downside. Uh, and even for... Um, I would say bug bounty are really focused on, on web stuff in general. So that's uh, that's something I, I think a bit bad uh, in my opinion. Um, yeah. um, I find it uh, a, a bit sad. Uh, definitely there is a lot of companies that are using um, like, uh, for example, Go or Rust they are using like some public library. It could be really interesting for them to, to just say, okay, we want to support the security of this module, uh, of this library that is really critical for, for us. And uh, they, if a lot of companies are doing that, you can just um, have uh, like a, a lot of money for, for one bugs. I mean, if you have, let's say you are a company and you, you don't want to spend like 500 euro or, or 200 euro for a bug on this library that is not uh, your library and is not maintained by you, um, it can make sense that um, in the future we will get like only like a $10, $10 bounty per company. But I mean, if you have uh, 50 companies that are interested of financing yeah. this stuff, I mean, that's nothing for them. And uh, it's really helping the, the security of, of that. So, yeah, especially um, when they're using that in customer-facing products as well. Yeah, completely, exactly. Um, so that could be something. Uh, the other thing that could be interesting is a company uh, that takes some time to maybe integrate those library into uh, OSS first or stuff like that. Uh, that could be interesting as well. The only downside, I will say, is um, are you sure that this, if there is any bugs, the uh, maintainer will fix the bugs and will spend some time to do that and so on? So in the same way, uh, could make sense to uh, maybe uh, do some donation and, and pay the, the developer, the maintainer of those open source software to, uh, to do the job and to be sure to... It will, it will also be motivated. I mean, that's uh, most of the time open software maintainers uh, are working on that on, on their side or, um, or with luck, it will be paid by their own company uh, that will uh, finance the, the fact that they are doing open source software. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's important to, to, to help them uh, and to find a way uh, for them to also be attractive for them to, to find the bugs, to, to spend the time to, to make this effort uh, and to help uh, growing the, the security on this different stuff. Um, that's, I think, for, for me, a really important uh, part of the job. 
So definitely do fuzzing on open source software. Uh, if you can write some GitHub issues and so on, but do not expect the bugs to be fixed really quickly or uh, to do not expect the developer to, to focus on, on your issue because uh, you just need... stuff to do and it costs exactly. time, money, I mean, and energy. And exactly. Everyone, everyone have a, a life to, to handle. So um, it's, uh, it's complicated for everyone. So uh, that's, uh, that's something important to, to manage as well. Absolutely. And that's uh, kind of a, a big thing in cybersecurity or in InfoSec in general. We had the... I had, we had Maximilian uh, on the show. He runs a website called cxsecurity.com, which releases exploits. And he says basically like Google uh, Project Zero does is uh, if they haven't fixed it within three weeks of you publishing it, then it's, it's free for all, basically. Mm-mm. Which uh, luckily is putting some more pressure on them to fix it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a really complex subject. Uh, but by the time they they decide that, uh, okay. yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm that's. Um, I, I would say that's a really complex subject, also because there is two vision. Uh, there is the vision in one side. If for me, the first thing to first discuss is is this is the source code and everything is public. Um, is it open source or is it closed source? For me, it makes more sense uh, to give more time to an open source, uh, no, a closed so- close source uh, software uh, to, to patch the bug because you actually don't know the complexity of even their management system and so on, and even the, the number of developers they got and so on. Um, so in, in one way, yeah, you can put uh, some pressure uh, on top of them, but most of the time it will... I mean, also it's depending on the complexity of the bug, but if it's a bug that is complex to find, um, I'm, I'm not sure it's, uh, it's worth like, uh, okay, you only have three weeks and that's all, and I'm going to release the stuff that is really critical for them and so on. But the, the fact is actually Google, or, 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 I mean, Project Zero already discussed about that, and they actually say that, uh, I mean, it's not an issue for them to just postpone the, the release. Uh, they just need to be aware of that and, and they discuss with the company and so on. So I think they are doing, us, in terms of disclosure, some, some pretty good job on that. And for GitHub, in the same way, uh, I think GitHub um, integrates like, uh, the, the capability to create some, some bug issue that will not be public directly, um, if, oh, I, if I remember. So private issues. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can really create some cool. private issue. So, f- yeah. So, uh, and that's also why you will get in that case, I, I think, like a CVE number and so on. Uh, it's basically because uh, you are using this specific GitHub reporting uh, issue. Um, so that's really really interesting, and I think it's a really good way uh, to um, to do the job. Actually, uh, like you are reporting the issue, it will be private and. Um, by the time the developer can just fix the stuff, uh, push that into master, and the issue is released uh, publicly. Um, I don't know if there is any timing, any, um, any any stuff like that, or is the stuff will just go public after like one month, two months, or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I really like the idea of um, being like uh, private at the beginning, and uh, and it will just be released after some time. Absolutely. That, that's really good, and especially if it's a big 
security issue that affects a lot of things and can be heavily abused. So uh, you've been to a lot of security conferences. What, what top three security conferences do you recommend? What are some of your favorite? <laughs> uh, yeah, complicated subject. Um, I have not been um, into uh, Blackout and uh, DevCon for the moment, so I will not be able to to discuss about this one. I I really I will really like to to go there. Uh, I, I mean, I was planning to to go there last year, but of course, uh, complicated. Um, so uh, this year I was not able. But yeah, next year I'm planning to go at this conference. I think it will be really interesting. So for this one, I, I cannot discuss. The one I've done uh, that I really like, uh, my favorite of all, is uh, Recon. Um, so Recon Montreal. Um, that's one of my. Yeah, it's my favorite conference of all because I mean it's in Montreal. Uh, I mean all the all the guys there are my friend. Uh, uh, I'm doing training there as well and so on. So it's really like one per year. At least I'm I'm going to Montreal because I'm based in Paris or otherwise. Mm. Uh, so that's uh, that's really nice and it's happening at the same time than uh, like festivals uh, like uh, the. Um, the jazz festivals and so on, or oh, the Francophonie. Um, so that's uh, that's a mood as well. Yeah, like you are doing to recon, you are giving your training, and and the weekend it will be the conference with the festival at the same time. So it's really really nice, and it's um, it's a really really technical uh, conferences, and uh, that's something I really enjoy because basically you will also discuss with people that will be highly technical in in their domain. And uh, that will be a really uh, like the best way to learn is basically to to speak with the with the expert on the on the subject. So that's uh, that's also why. So Recon will be the first one uh, definitely. Um, so let's say Recon is uh, on on this side of the world. Uh, one that I really enjoyed is um, in US was Turcon um, in yeah. Uh, San Diego. Yeah, uh, really nice one. In the same way, really really good mood, uh, really good vibes and so on. So really, really nice. On the Europe, you have, um, so it's a bit more specific um, on like, oh, not really on manual analysis and so on, but um, I was, um, I'm doing at ACLU, um, it's the conference in Luxembourg. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty, it's a tiny conference, but it's pretty nice. It's, uh, it's, the more you go there, the, it's like always the same uh, face and so on. So that's really nice to, to for your network and, and, and be with the friends. And uh, another one that I really like is um, Hack in the Box. So I was expecting to, to be at Amsterdam. Uh, sadly, possible uh, the, it was last year. Uh, but um, I'm planning to, to be, uh, I'm planning to be at the um, Hack in the Box uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, this oh, year right. as well, and I've already done that uh, previously. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, conferences are also a good way to travel. Uh, um, so first, you will um, be um, at some place that uh, you maybe discover for the first time. You will get with uh, people that are interesting uh, about the same subjects and you and so on. So it's really a, a good occasion. That's also uh, oh, I'm choosing the the conference uh, the conference I'm going to. Um, 
to be honest, I'm not going in a lot of conference in France uh, because I mean it's in France, so that's there, uh, you, you that's. Yeah. I would I prefer to yeah exactly, um, but um, yeah that's um, for example I'm I'm planning uh, if I can get a place and so um, a, a ticket to go at uh, OffensiveCon in in Berlin in February next year. So uh, really, in the same way, really technical conference, uh, really focused on, on vulnerability research, fuzzing, and so on. So uh, I think it will be on my top three uh, pretty soon. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's the kind of conference I'm, I'm going to. And yeah, the, the more technical it is, the, the more I like it, uh, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm also the same. It's really nice to go to conferences where you're actually infosec people and you're not listening to a marketing pitch by someone that doesn't know a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, but those... So is there anything I forgot to ask about fussing that you would like to cover or uh, go deeper into? Pretty wide. <laughs> I think we, we spent a... Yeah, yeah, it's pretty vast. Uh, it's... Uh... Uh, it's really nice. Thank you for, for having me there speaking about fuzzing. That's... Uh... That's my favorite subject of all. Uh, and yeah, as I mentioned, you can just apply fuzzing to everything. So definitely people should give it a try. And it will be really, really nice um, to, to have more people involved uh, in, the, in the fuzzing community. Uh, I think we have been pretty large on the subject. I mean, we haven't discussed about fuzzing on like WebAssembly and, and other targets. Um, Definitely check um, check for all the resources you can find uh, on online. Uh, there is really a lot of them, and uh, fuzzing is look complicated, but it's not. Uh, so uh, don't be afraid to start uh, on that. And how um, do you stay yeah. updated in the field and find out all these new white papers and uh, stuff like that? Yeah, really good question. Um, Twitter. Twitter. I mean, okay. yeah. Yeah, um, basically, I have uh, on I, I have my Twitter account and I have multiple um, list Twitter list, and uh, each list is like uh, specific to one subject. Um, and uh, basically, uh, I'm using basically this list this list a bit like my Twitter feed uh, in in some way on some specific stuff, uh, because maybe you, you will get some people that uh, you want to follow, uh, but they are only specific to this subject, uh, like I don't know, like WebAssembly, for example. Um, or also, you can of course have some people that are speaking a lot or are doing like a lot of tweet, uh, tweet and uh, by the time your Twitter feed will be like full of, of stuff uh, and it will be really complicated to manage. I mean, the, the more subject you're interested about, the more complicated it will be. So that's why I really like to use the, the Twitter list. And basically I have one list per interesting subject, I will say. So my main feed is about like the people I'm following, fuzzing in general and so on. Um, and uh, I have multiple feeds for some specific subject like Go, Rust, uh, WebAssembly, uh, and so on. So that's the, that's the way I'm using Twitter. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, most of the time, if, um, if something new uh, regarding like the, some new fuzzing paper or fuzzing blog post is coming uh, in the wild, um, I wish show that uh, I will see that on directly on Twitter. I mean, of course, it will be retweet and the uh, community will discuss about that and so on. So uh, that's for me the best way to, to stay tuned in 
not just fuzzing, but infosec in general. Absolutely. There's so much things happening in the infosec community on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to use the list, the list feature because now my, my feed is just a, it's just a giant mess right now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So Patrick, we have spoken in a bit about over an hour now, and I would like to thank you so much. Do you have any closing remarks? Um, no, thank you so much for, for having me uh, there. It was uh, really nice to, to speak a bit more about my what I'm doing on my day-to-day basis, my passion about fuzzing. So uh, yeah, definitely, I uh, really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I, I will say my closing remarks will be, don't be afraid about fuzzing, just give it a try and uh, you will see how powerful it is and how easy as well it is to, to start and playing with that. So um, once uh, once you start enjoying it, uh, you will just by yourself be like uh, more uh, happy to discover some new stuff and, and learn even more about your target. Uh, that's for me the, the best way to start learning about a subject. Start doing fuzzing on it and you will learn uh, more deeply uh, about it. Awesome. And uh, where can our listeners follow your research? On my Twitter. Uh, actually, they can just follow me on, on Twitter if they, uh, if they need. Um, or on the YouTube channel. I'm, uh, I'm trying to release one video per week. I'm trying. So in, it's a video about fuzzing and, and vulnerability research, reversing and so on. So it's the, the Fuzzing Labs uh, channel. And, uh, and otherwise, uh, they can find all my, my courses, the, the, like the document, the material and so on, uh, directly on my website. Um, so they just need to follow the, the links on the YouTube video, basically. And uh, yeah, they will go on my um, like online platform. And that's actually also where uh, all my trainings are available. Uh, directly on uh, like a recording format so uh, um, that's the that's the the way to just follow my work uh, and uh, i have a newsletter also oh yeah i forgot to mention that um if if you want you can also take a look at my uh, i have a dedicated telegram channel um, okay. specific about uh, and it's the fuzzing lab channel and uh, each article each stuff that are uh, coming uh, regarding fuzzing or vulnerability research in general whatever the target i'm putting the link directly on this uh, telegram channel so there is i think for the moment we are like 300 uh, subscribers to this channel uh, this telegram uh, feed and uh, yeah it's like basically a, a feed dedicated to fuzzing so definitely if you if you have telegram and are interesting about that uh, i mean i will give the give you the link uh, but that will be one of the best way to to stay tuned about fuzzing uh, without having like multiple feed on Twitter. That's uh, my, my Telegram stuff is. I'm actually doing the job for you, so that's even better. That's awesome. Uh, that's a great way of staying up to date. Uh, we will. I will make sure that's linked in the in the show notes. All right, Patrick. Thank you so much for spending the time with me, and I, I really hope that you will come on another episode of Security Headlines in the future. With pleasure. All right. Have a good one. Thank Ciao. you.